Good morning. I didn't, <clears throat> I didn't know what to expect when I uh, came to preach this morning because my voice went out yesterday at some point. So I can promise you that it doesn't hurt me, but it's going to hurt you a little bit today to listen to. Uh, so don't worry about me too much. Um, I've tried to cut the sermon. I've cut things out of the sermon so that I can get a basic sermon in the amount of time that I think my voice has remaining today. So I've got cold water and tea, and I'm going back and forth, and I don't know if that's a good idea, but we'll see what happens. This is a good time to try, right, in front of everybody. Today we're going to be in 1 Peter 1. This is a two-part sermon, 1 Peter 1, 13 through 21. We'll be looking at verses 13 through 16 today. Born again to a living hope, the quest to maintaining the proper conduct as a child of God. Will you pray with me this morning as we begin this sermon? Father God, you are good and you are holy and there is none like you. We trust you, we love you, we follow you because you are God. Lord, in your goodness, you saw fit to look down on sinners like us and save us. Lord, we thank you for your son who has done that work, who completes that work. Lord, we thank you for the Holy Spirit of God who, is, who dwells among us, who is, lives in our hearts as we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We pray, Lord, that we would be holy just as you are holy, that we would model our lives in a way that honors and glorifies the precious and matchless in the perfect name of Jesus Christ that gives glory to the Father. Lord, would you be with us today as we hear your word? Help us to trust your word, to apply it to our lives, to be changed forever by your word. Lord, give me the strength to preach your word today. Help me to finish, finish strong. Lord, we love you. We praise you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Last week, we discussed the Spirit's role in our joy. And <clears throat> what we found is that the Spirit is responsible for keeping the gospel proclaimed throughout the ages. The Holy Spirit of God has always been moving in various ways, but one of his main responsibilities is to proclaim the gospel throughout the ages. That the Spirit of God also is the source of our faith, that he is renewing us all of our life, that he is making us more like Jesus through our faith. He was the voice behind the prophets who searched to find the truth about the Messiah, which led to their ministry to us. He is the power behind the gospel that continues to save and sanctify our souls from generation to generation all the way to the return of Christ. Now we spent much time on the joy that we have as Christians as a result of our faith. Um, today, we're going to transition just a little bit. If faith is our belief and hope in what has, our, our belief and trust in what has already happened to us, today we're going to shift from faith to hope. Faith is our belief in what has happened to us. Hope is our belief in what will happen in the future. Hope is the Christian attitude for the future. Faith accepts, hope expects. Now we don't talk about hope as often as we talk about faith and love, but we're told to abide in hope. Faith, 
of the three, faith, hope, and love abide in these, but the greatest of these is love, right? We're told to abide in hope. <coughs> Excuse me. Hope should be something that we discuss. Now, there are many messages on faith and hope and hope, on faith and love, and hopefully I can give you a small idea today about hope. So today we'll look at the quest to maintaining a proper conduct as a child of God and how that relates to our hope. Um, I want to just move right into the points. No more filler because I can already tell myself, I can already see that I'm fading. So the first thing that I want to bring you to is this. We are on the proper path when we have a proper focus on our hope. If we're on the quest to live godly lives, if we're on the quest to live godly conduct, we are on the proper path when we have a proper focus on our hope. Look at verse 13. Therefore, preparing your minds for actions and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, we discussed this when we talked about living hope, but this is not an aimless hope. This is not something that we wish or want to happen. This is something that we look forward to as if it has already happened. Our faith is not something we're shooting for. It's not something we're dreaming about, but it's something that we're sure of. Our hope is not something we're shooting for. It's not something we're dreaming about, but it's something that we're sure of. But here Peter is trying to dial into our hope just a little bit more precisely, and we should do our best to see how. First, Peter says, therefore. Now, you know the, you know the message there. Whenever you see therefore in the Bible, you have to ask, what is the therefore, therefore, right? So Peter says, therefore. The therefore points us back to this great salvation that verses 1 through 12 have already laid out beautifully. The therefore points us back to a salvation that is in Jesus Christ, a faith that is founded in Jesus Christ, that is strengthened by the Spirit, that is sure, that is constant, that is ever-present. So we look at this faith and we say, uh, you, could, you could take a therefore to mean since, because of, or you could just take it as therefore. Therefore, since you have this great faith, what do you do with it? And he goes on to command of what we should do for God. In verses 1 through 12, we see the indicative. Indicative is um, a fact. It's a fact about something that has happened or happened to us of what God has done for us. Now, which leads us to what we'll discuss today, and that is the imperative. The imperative is a command. We see this often in the Bible. There is an indicative and an imperative. The indicative tells us what has been done for us. The imperative tells us what we should do about it. And so the imperative here today is necessary to see what our response is to this great salvation. What our response is to this great salvation. And our response is this proper focus on our hope. But Peter lays out three things that I think are important as it relates to a proper focus on our hope. Let's look at those. The first is this. I'm going to leave this closer so I don't forget about it. The first is this. 
Prepare for action. Prepare for action. This literally means, and you're going to understand very quickly why prepare for action is used in this translation. It literally means gird up the loins of your mind. Gird up the loins of your mind. Now, I know you can see prepare for action is more, you know, it's better than gird up the loins of your mind. <clears throat> but this is an allusion to, to Old Testament text and Old Testament commands. Um, but one specifically that comes to mind is the exodus out of Egypt. In Exodus 12, in the Passover, all of the, all of the feasts, all of the uh, food around the Passover, all of the preparation for the Passover is meant for a quick escape from Egypt. And one of the things that they were told to do is gird up their loins. And this is what that means. In, um, in those times, and even in the New Testament times, which they would have understood what gird up the loins of your mind meant, they wore a cloak and it went down to their ankles. But also they wore an underwear cloak, basically, and it went to right here, basically. And, and they wore a belt with that to sort of cinch all of that together so it was easier to walk, easier to maneuver, things like that. But when they were ready to run, when they were ready to move, when they had action or when they fought or things like that, they would take that outer cloak and they would tuck it into their belt so that they could, and they would cinch it up. They would gird it up. And so this is where preparing for action comes from. This is where girding up the loins of your mind comes from. They would take that cloak and they would, they would put it in their belt and they would be ready to fight, um, which simply can be stated as prepare for action. There is a sense of readiness for all believers who want to focus on the hope that has been given to them, who should be ever present really in all of our lives. Um, there's a sense of readiness that should be present because our hope always leads to action. Our hope always leads to action. Living our lives in a way that is ready to go to heaven at any moment, but also living our lives in a way that is ready to stay here and fight it out for the duration. That is what preparing for action is. That is what girding up the loins of your mind is. <clears throat> it reminds us of the contrast that we've talked about over the last uh, two weeks ago, I think, or whatever, and then all, all the time, basically, of being in the world, but not of the world. Being a stranger in the world, but also living in the world at the same time. There's this constant sort of inner, inner battle between a Christian of being a part of this world, fighting for the sake of the gospel, fighting for God as a part of this world, and also remembering that your home is not in this world. Prepare for action. One way to surely have a proper focus on our hope is to always be prepared for action. There's a second way that Peter mentions that we gain focus on our hope, and that's be sober-minded. Being sober-minded is a restraint and moderation which, in, which <coughs> avoids excuse me, the excess of life, like the passions of the flesh, confusion, unnecessary conflict, and impulsivity. Being sober-minded is simply self-control. Sober-minded is realistic. It's the opposite of the old life. The old life is frantic, it's confused, and it lacks hope. Sober-minded grows up in prayer, it's realistic about life, and it has a fixed hope. Peter is saying sober-minded, but 
if we want to have a proper focus, we also must be sober physically. This is not just a figurative thing, but this is a physical thing. Allowing yourself to get caught up in drunkenness or the things that cause a deluded mind (coughs) creates delusion about you and others. It also eliminates inhibitions and restraints. It often flips the truth upside down. Being sober physically gives you the best chance at making wise, self-controlled, and thoughtful decisions. Decisions that you don't have to take back the next day. Decisions that you don't have to regret the next day or longer. Being sober-minded is not just about how we think spiritually, but it's how we act physically. We should always have a mindset that is fixed on God, that does not allow any distraction or anything else to get in our way of being able to worship God at any moment in spirit and in truth. When we are not sober-minded, when we are not sober-minded, we have the inability at different times to worship God in the way that he has prescribed. So not only is sober-minded here uh, figuratively, but it's also physically. On the spiritual side, our sober-minded mindset takes a proper look at the world. Our sober-minded mindset takes a proper look at the world. Not being caught up too heavily in the world's passions or worldly approval. Not being inebriated with good things like careers or possessions or recreation or reputation or friendships or studying or gaining authority or power. The quickest way to get drunk on these things is to make them a priority over godliness. Our marriage, our friendships, our careers, and the like are not bad in and of themselves. They're actually good things. They're actually things that can make us more holy. But when we try to make them about us, when we try to fix them ourselves, and when we try to prioritize them over personal godliness, we are not being sober-minded in these gifts that God has given us. The quickest way to fix a relationship is not to do the 10 steps to a healthy relationship. The quickest way to fix a relationship is to be holy as God is holy, to be holy yourself, to follow the Lord yourself. The Lord will not abandon you if you pursue him. If you draw near to him, he will draw near to you. We try so hard to fix things through the 10 steps of fixing life. When all the Lord requires of us is to be like him. And the more we are like him, the more those around us will be like him. If you're having trouble in your marriage and your relationship, you shouldn't try to fix your spouse. You should try to fix yourself to be more holy like Jesus. And I promise you, they will too want to be in the, they will too want to be in the same way that you are holy. Our relationships are not about what we can do, the steps we can take, who we can be, but who we are in Christ. And friends, I want to tell you, our relationships can become idols. Our relationships can become things that <clears throat> distract us from holiness, that distract us from being a sober, in a sober mind. We can even be drunk on trying to fix the things of our life when God just requires holiness for each believer. And ultimately, we all give an account of ourselves and not others.
when we are not thinking with a sober mind, then we automatically shift our focus off of hope. Peter knows it's easy to lose sober-mindedness. It was a lack of sober-minded thinking that caused Peter to see the work of the Lord as a physical thing that he could intervene. Peter lopped the ear off the soldier. Peter wanted to fight. Peter told Jesus, you're not, you're not going to die. You're not going to die for us. Peter didn't see things as the Spirit of God saw them. It was a lack of sober-minded thinking. As we think about the way we want them, as we think about the way we would do things if we were, had the power, if we had the authority, we become drunk in our own mindset. Peter remembered how he denied Jesus three times. Peter remembered how Jesus called him Simon, son of God, for uh, one minute, how he said he must, it must have come from Christ, and then the next minute he calls him a son of Satan. Being sober-minded can be lost quickly. It only takes a little bit of inebriation. So what do we do? Colossians 3, 2 through 3 says, set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. 1 John 2, 15 through 17 do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. While we might overfocus on some, um, while we might overfocus on people who are, who are, um, pursuing their careers and pursuing their faith. And we say, you got to be careful to be sober-minded. Um, also, being lazy-minded is not being sober-minded. So just because someone has stronger pursuits and stronger passions than you does not make them um, more wrong than you who are sort of being lackadaisical and lazy. Lazy-minded is not sober-minded. A lazy mind is not prepared for action, and it can lead to carelessness. It can lead to misses of opportunities. It can lead to ignorance towards our calling in Christ. There's a third thing on this, one, on this first point. We need to gird up the loins of our mind. We need to be sober-minded, and also we need to focus on the grace to come. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Set your hope indicates a clear and decisive action. This is only strengthened by the adverb fully or firmly. This is a confident expectation that encourages Christians and encourages Christians and reorders priorities. It is a fixed hope that causes godly action. We learn in verses 1 through 12 that we have a faith that is fully set on our salvation. But what is our hope in? What do we set our hope in? Our hope is not set in some generic second coming of Jesus. It's not set in crowns or jewels in our crowns or streets of gold. But our hope is set in all of the grace that is yet to appear and come along with the second coming of Jesus Christ. We now have a great fountain of undeserved blessing. We have a great fountain of grace that we partake in. But there is yet to come a further store of undeserved grace from the Lord. 
the grace that is brought with the revelation of Jesus is the final culmination of all things. It is the righting of all wrongs. It is Eden restored. It is no sin. It is no death. It is no sickness. It is no pain. It is no sorrow, no abandonment, no backstabbing, just undeniable and rich grace. There's much more involved in this great grace, but these are just a few things. And honestly, one of the things, or a few of the things that we also discussed already, or Peter also mentioned in chapter one of this great grace, he's already spoken to us. This great grace that is yet to come, the inheritance reserved for you in heaven, 1 Peter 1.4. <clears throat> the salvation ready to be revealed in the last time, 1 Peter 1.5. The praise, honor, and glory we shall receive at the revelation of Jesus Christ, 1 Peter 1.7. And the end of our faith, the salvation of our souls, 1 Peter 1.9. What a glorious day it will be. But what a glorious thought that we have when we fix our hope on the grace of of Christ that is yet to come, a sure salvation, praise, honor, and glory, the salvation of our souls, an inheritance that is set and reserved for us. It is not, it's not just the focus of our hope that puts us on the proper path, but also a second thing here. We are on the proper path when we do not conform to our former lust. Look at verse 14. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. It's very important that we don't get caught up in the lie that what we do does not matter. The world will tell us that there is no standard for truth and right living, that whatever you decide is your path, and that no one else is there to judge. But that's simply not the case for us. We have a moral standard to follow. The summary of that moral standard is found in the Ten Commandments, but can also be seen throughout the entirety of Scripture. It is no mistake that Peter compares us to children. Firstly, because we are God's children, predestined from the beginning of time. <coughs> but also, we should live a life completely sub subservient to the will of the Father. So not only are we God's children, but we are also subservient, like children, to his will. As obedient children, we do not conform to the passions of our former way of ignorance. Peter is saying, you now, you know, excuse me, you now know what is right. You now know what is wrong. It is clearly stated for you in the Bible, but more importantly, it is written for you on your heart. One of the grace gifts of the Spirit of God is spiritual discernment and understanding. That is why a Christian should move from living as they once lived or as the world lives to living how the Spirit leads. And the Spirit leads us to abandon the things of our former ignorance and to walk in the Spirit. For some context, Galatians 5 says this, But I say, walk in the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. 
I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. These things mentioned are things of a past life, a life that is dead and should be quickly forgotten as soon as possible. Peter is saying, don't go back to the life that you lived before you knew about Christ. No one does that. No one does that. That is not a way that we operate in any way in life, right? <clears throat> if you go to the store and you buy Blue Bell ice cream for the first time, there's no way that you can go and enjoy that little plastic tubbed ice cream that, that Walmart or Kroger sells. If you buy Blue Bell ice cream, then you can't enjoy Kroger or Walmart brand unless you're cheap. Okay. That's no one operates that way. No one sees a better thing and has that better thing at their disposal 24 seven and then goes back to the old thing. Um, I bought some running shoes and I paid a lot of money for those running shoes, but now they are my work shoes because they're like walking on pillows and only criminals run. I have also, I've also purchased some cheap shoes um, that felt like I was walking on two by fours. If you've experienced something so great, you can't go back. It's like wishing for the AOL man, the dial-up AOL man to go across the screen when you have fiber internet. It just doesn't make sense. When your life has been changed, when the spirit of God lives in you, when he shows and reveals to you the things of walking in the spirit and what that means, when he reveals to you the problems of walking in the flesh, no one in their right mind chooses bad when great is available. Peter says, if you want to have focus that leads to proper conduct, that takes a proper view of hope that sets aside its old ways. Galatians 5 doesn't leave us though. It says, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. And those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the spirit, let us also keep in step with the spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Let us be prepared for action, sober-minded, focused on the grace that is to come and walk in a manner worthy of the Spirit's calling. Friends, we have spent too much time choosing worse when we have best. We have spent too much time dipping our toe back in the old life when we have a new life. We know the way. We know the way. I think there's two reasons for that. Number one, we lose our focus on the hope we lose our focus on our faith. But another reason is that a lot of people think that if they understand what it means to live a good life and they live a good life, that they are good. And it's just not true. It's just not true. Living a good life is being taken over by the Spirit of God, having Him change you from the inside out, giving you new desires, giving you new hopes, new creation a new way of thinking and not turning back. Does it mean we'll never sin? Of course not. 
Does it mean we'll never fall back into the old habits that we fall back into? Of course not. But it does mean this. It does mean this. As you walk in faith, the things you fall back into will be things that you did a couple weeks ago and not a couple years ago. Do you understand the difference? Do you understand the difference? As you leave that old life further behind, you will not continue to walk in it. You might mess up, but you're going to mess up on new things and not old things. Does that make sense to you? Because eventually you're going to, it's inevitable for a person of God, the spirit of God conquers the old life. It's inevitable. He cannot cohabitate in your heart, in your temple, with the old way of thinking, with the old way of doing. He cannot. The temple is his, the throne is his, and if we belong to Christ, the house will be purged of the old life. It's as simple as that. Still sinners, still desperately in need of help, but purged of an old way of thinking, an old way of living. It should cause us to think deeply about our motivations. It should cause us to think deeply about our living right now. Are we pursuing holiness? Are we pursuing the Lord? Does our life look different today than it did years ago? Do we keep falling back into the old habits? I have one more point. Is my voice just terrible to you or should I go ahead and finish? Okay. Thank you, Asher. We are on the last thing. Was that Asher? Thank you. We are on the proper path when our conduct is holy. That's the last thing to say. We're on the proper path when our conduct is holy. My voice is annoying me. That's why I asked you. Look at verse 15. I think I'm going to have just enough tea. Thank you, Lexi, for making me two big teas this morning. We're on the proper path when our conduct is holy. Verse 15 and 16. But as he called you, as, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. There's a difference between doing right and living a holy life. Being holy means being consecrated, being set apart for good use. Israel was set apart from the nations. They were given commands and rules to follow to make sure <coughs> they followed the Lord, but also to make sure that they were holy. The cups, the plates, the instruments, the tools, they were set apart only for holy use. The, the ministers of the gospel in the time of ministry, they were set apart so that they could be used for holy, a holy use because God is holy and we are called to be holy. We are not called to obey God because it makes us feel better, it makes us look better in front of other people, or it makes our conscience eased, or because we think it can save us. We are called to be holy because God himself is holy. Christ who has saved us is holy and the spirit that indwells us is holy. We are called to be holy because the natural result of being surrounded by so much holiness is to be holy. It's not so much 
for you to ascertain a mindset of holiness, but it is for you to have a complete inside out lifestyle change that leads to holy living, consecrated, set apart. Now, if you want to ask yourself, if you're a person who doubts, if you're a person who worries about your salvation, let me take a drink because this is important. And you want to ask yourself, is what I'm doing for the Lord because I'm a holy person or because I'm just trying to be self-righteous or because I'm doing it in the wrong way? If you want to ask yourself that question, I think that's a good question to ask. The answer is not easy. The answer is not easy. But there are some indicators. One indicator is this. Is my heart being continually regenerated and renewed more than it is being torn down? Is my heart being progressively moved to be more like God more than it is being torn down? (coughs) Is my way of thinking, is my way of thinking set apart in that when I look at other people and hear other people talk, It sounds so foreign to me because my way of thinking is becoming holy also. I'm not saying that you have to be like, you know, the Amish or people that you see on television who you know, these people are not real. They're they're fake. You know, where everything, you're smiling all the time and everything is perfect. And I'm not saying that. But I am saying that a mindset that is focused on the Lord is a different mindset. And you look at things that you see on television, you look at the way the culture shifts, you look at the things that are going on around you, maybe even things that your own family does, and you're like, this is not holy living. This is not right lifestyle. You look at things maybe even other churches do, and you're like, they're so far off. Like, I'm not saying this to brag, but as a point of reference. But people, some pastors tell me of their problems that they're facing at their church, And even the thought of having that problem is so foreign to me, like I don't know what to do with it. When we are moving into holy living, our heart is being regenerated to be more like God. Our minds are being regenerated to be more like God. And therefore, our actions are. We need accountability to, to change our actions, but we shouldn't have to have someone constantly on our tail telling us the right things to do. If you've been a Christian long enough, the spirit of God, the word of God, prayer, and those around you should help you to be able to do the right things without someone constantly beating you over the head with it. Christian maturity, while our Christian faith is not a personal salvation, it is a salvation for all of us in the sense that we're all in it together But self-control, which is what holiness is, it's what setting our focus, it's what being sober-minded is. Self-control is something that we have to develop and pursue ourselves. And self-control is one of the first steps to holiness. It's how our mind is renewed. It's also strengthened by holiness, which is sort of an interesting concept. Peter says, he who has called you to be holy is holy, so be holy. It's only natural that if we are born of Christ who is holy, we will also live and pursue holiness. 
Not only is it natural, it's what we're called to do. Ephesians 2 says you were created to be good workmen. You were created for holiness. We know that we were created before the foundation of the world to be holy. So what does this mean? What does this mean? We should conform our way of thinking daily to the way God thinks. That means learning what he thinks and removing the things that he does not approve of. We should conform our way of living to the way Christ lived. That means living in the way that he lived and removing the things that prevent us from living in the way that he lived. And we should live differently and not just better. We should live differently and not just better. You've heard this verse a few thousand times. But if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. A new creation lives differently and not just better. A new creation lives a different life and not just a better life. Why should we live holy lives? Besides all the reasons that I previously stated, look at the last part of verse 16. Since it is written, since it is written, we should live holy lives not just because that's the natural result of belonging to a holy God who's being saved by a holy son and being indwelt by a holy spirit. We should live natural lives because he has, I mean, holy lives because he has commanded us to do so. It is written, it is established, and it still stands today. We should be holy as he is holy. Proper focus on our hope, not conform to the former lust and holy living. Let's pray. Lord God, we love you. Lord, thank you for letting me, whatever I did today, muscle through this or whatever. Thank you for allowing me to give the words to say, Lord, I pray that it was impactful in our congregation's life as it was in my life. Lord, help us to follow you in holiness. Help us to pursue you in holiness, not just to be people who live better, but live differently. Not just to be people who allow parts of our old lives to stay present, but to remove those parts, to flee from those parts and be sober-minded and be girded up, ready for the grace that is to come. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We thank you for Jesus, who is the author and perfecter of our faith. We give you this day. It's in his name we pray. Amen.